Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is Yasmin Cheyenne. She is a writer, speaker, author of the poetry book Salve, and she is a self-healing advocate born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. She helps people create and strengthen their individual self-care practices by teaching them the tools that can empower lasting positive changes in their lives. She's also the podcast host of The Sugar Jar, which we discuss in this episode. And it was so wonderful getting to talk to Yasmin about healing, burnout, boundaries, how to look after ourselves, especially during this pretty rocky time in everyone's lives. I really enjoyed digging into the topic of healing and self-healing in this episode. Hope you enjoy. And if you did, please do consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And here is the episode. So I'm so excited to be joined by the amazing Yasmin. We have connected on Instagram for a while and I found your work through Skillshare. Thank you for your work and for your relaxing wisdom that also has such a purpose to it. Thank you for having me and thank you for that. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm so excited. I was just saying that I was feeling a little bit burnt out today and I had a little nap earlier and I was like, Yasmin would be proud of this. I am... (laughs) I have some boundaries going on today, so I was so excited to talk to you. But for anyone listening, just to kick off the episode, your work is around, well, lots of things, but mainly self-healing and healing. Mm -hmm. For anyone listening who has maybe heard of self-love or maybe heard of similar terms, but they haven't actually come across self-healing, what? how would you sum it up in your own words? Yeah. So I think that self-healing is the opportunity or permission to create a healing practice that works for you. Um, So often we're given so many directions and instructions about what healing should look like. And so we're trying to follow this path that this book says, or we're trying to do what our best friends did that worked for for them. And really it's about creating a practice that feels tangible and doable. Um, So often we like set our expectations extremely high and we quit because it's like, who can keep up with this very structured, you know, plan that we created for ourselves. So it's about creating something that works for you, um, something that feels good for you and the way that your life currently is and something that actually helps you to positively move forward um, in a in a way that creates space for your life to look like how you want it to look. Mm-hmm. And one thing I I know that I've been doing more during lockdown is writing by hand. I found it so good in the mornings to I mean, I just don't journal. It's just not something I've been doing, but I returned to Julia Cameron's morning pages recently. Mm -hmm. And I know you talk about the power of journaling and in your class on Skillshare, which if you're listening, please check it out. It's so good, but you give prompts. Mm -hmm. How how has journaling changed you and your your life? You know, shockingly, I will admit I don't journal often physically writing hand to paper. And the reason why is because I just genuinely don't have the time, especially with being at home and working and having my kids at home. And so one of the things that I absolutely love to do is audio journaling, where when I'm doing dishes or, you know, taking a walk, I'm speaking my journal out loud. And I use an app called Otter that transcribes it and I can read it back to myself. Um, And so I say that to say that I know a lot of people feel like writing is something that they can't stop to do. And I, you know, in the in the terms of how I described self-healing earlier, finding ways that it works for you and feels doable for you has been such a powerful thing, I think, in teaching people about journaling. Um, and also recognizing that, 
you know, this isn't going to be in a museum. Like, I mean, I don't think so. <laughs> Your journal's not going to be in a museum. <laughs> and I think a lot of times we like write in terms of, you know, wanting it to be perfect and like really allowing it to be something that's fun and also just a release. Maybe the things that you wouldn't feel f- comfortable saying to anyone else. And um, I think a lot of us are learning how to give ourselves permission to do that. And journaling is the perfect place to practice that. It's so funny, isn't it, that we're so conditioned from an early age to be perfect or try and follow some rules. Mm -hmm. Because I, I was actually reading this book by Natalie Goldberg. It's a writing book. And she says that when she's journaling, she writes in the margins and she writes over the lines like she doesn't write in the lines and she just scribbles all over it and she was like the point is is that you're getting it out so I love that you do it through audio because like you say it's not for anyone else to look at anyway right it's not for anyone to look at and even if someone does see it um perhaps if someone happens to see it you know just feeling comfortable that like this is how I truly feel um and I think that ultimately perfectionism because I am a recovering perfectionist for sure. Perfectionism is something that, you know, keeps us in a cage. It keeps us um, believing that we should stay small to stay, to stay safe. And that if we just don't ruffle any feathers or perhaps, you know, do exactly what we think we're supposed to be doing, maybe our families or society has put these societal contexts on us that make us believe we're supposed to be this particular type of person. And it even comes up in our self-care and our journaling. Like, you know, I should be writing like this or it should look like this or what kind of person am I to think that about myself or someone else? And journaling is that perfect time and self-healing is that perfect time where you can begin to practice letting go of those contexts and ideas and the rules that people gave you that don't actually even fit who you are. Yeah. It's so true. And Another thing I really got from your work was the this idea of bringing yourself joy, which mm-hmm. sounds quite simple, but you really break it down um, in such a useful way. Because I think when I used to think of joyful moments, I would think of other people texting me or other people bringing me that joy. And I love how you reframe that as, no, you, you do have to bring yourself joy. Um, would you be able to talk a little bit about that? Because feeling joyful is so important. Yeah. And I think you just, I love the way you said that. I think so many of us um, are like, you know, my friends don't, you know, I, my friend didn't call me for my birthday, although that is upsetting. Um, or my my partner didn't get me the thing that I wanted. Uh, or, you know, they, you know, I'm not getting it externally. And that's also societal conditioning. A lot of the ideals we get, even from movies, television, it's like, oh, she's, or this person is, you know, down. And all of a sudden the perfect person comes along and like makes everything great (laughs) with the perfect words. And now all of the worries that she had up until this point in the show are gone and she's a new person. And it's just so unrealistic. However, we have societally bought in. And so having to unprogram and unlearn the the structures around how joy can be something that we give ourselves and taking time to do things that really excite us that perhaps other people don't want to do like for example for me recently I've been knitting and honestly you could have never told me <laughs> 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 be knitting um but 
you know, I really enjoy it. It's, it's super cathartic for me. It's super relaxing. And I like, you know, alpaca scarves. And so <laughs> I've been practicing doing that for myself. But if I had waited for someone to figure out that I loved knitting and to buy me the perfect project to get started, I might be waiting my whole life. And so it's like asking yourself, what is it that I really enjoy? What is it that I want to do? Just, just me. And how can I give it to myself? Even if it's not something that you purchase and it's something that, you know, sitting down and watching Netflix for an hour or reading, like giving yourself permission to do that. And, and even recognizing that with perfectionism, sometimes we feel like we need to be productive versus doing something enjoying and being in a space of joy is productive. Have you noticed that your work has resonated in a new way with people? Because I do feel like in 2020, when all of our favorite things were stripped away, we had to, we were literally forced into this state of having to find simple pleasures. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of everything that you talk, that you've always spoken about. It's almost like we're all thrust into this now. Absolutely. I think prior to 2020, people were like, oh, that's, I I love this, but like, (laughs) not doable. Like I have travel, I have this, I have that. And I think 2020 and unfortunately 2021 as well so far, we have been learning that it really does fall on us. I mean, it, it, it really does belong to us, our time, our energy, our space. And, you know, I think that although, you know, like we were just discussing, I'm really excited about getting back into the world at some point and traveling and doing all the things that I love, the things that I have learned about myself and the time that I have for myself are, are some of the things that I want to keep. I don't want to be burnt out because I've, you know, traveled three straight, straight weeks in a row for work and didn't schedule any time for myself. I don't want to go back to a lot of those patterns that were not helpful to me feeling good on a regular basis. And it doesn't mean that we have to feel good all the time because that's also not possible. Um, But joy is also allowing yourself to be honest too. I mean, how good does it feel when you get to say like, hey, I, you know, someone says, hey, how are you doing? And instead of saying, I'm doing great, you say, you know, like this day really sucks. (laughs) It brings you joy to be seen and like have that space to, to be yourself. And so I think even redefining what joy looks like and how giving yourself joy can show up in your life. And do you think with bringing yourself joy, it seems like that can then lead to getting yourself out of other emotions and being quite self-reliant? Because I know recently you spoke about disappointment, Mm -hmm. which is such a huge human emotion. And actually someone recently said to me that whenever they get depressed, it comes from some disappointment. Mm -hmm. It's like a real trigger for a lot of people, I think. Mm -hmm. Just feeling like someone's let you down or you didn't get the thing you wanted. It's like, we think disappointment is just this thing, but it's actually like quite heavy, isn't it? Like it can spiral. And you spoke really beautifully recently about sort of dealing with disappointment. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you can share on that? Because being able to self-soothe yourself is so powerful. Absolutely. And, you know, I think disappointment is the thing that we are often running from because disappointment means that one, we were vulnerable, we put ourselves out there and we were honest about ourselves with either ourselves or with someone else. And disappointment is the fear that the, 
acknowledging or feeling the feelings of disappointment is often the fear that keeps us from putting ourselves out there. And I think that Mm -hmm. it can go two ways. Disappointment can be something that we fear. And so we stay small or we don't do the things that we want to do. And that can be very upsetting and disappointing in itself. Or we put ourselves out there and things don't go the way we want them to go or the way that we imagined or expected them to go. And so then we're disappointed that we tried and it quote unquote failed. And so I think that there's this, I think that there's so much power in giving yourself permission to feel disappointed and to admit I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed perhaps in the way that I showed up. I'm disappointed in the way that someone behaved with me or the way something turned out. And the the power in admitting to yourself how it feels to put yourself out there or perhaps to be afraid to put yourself out there is how those shifts begin to take place, how we're able to change the trajectory of our lives. And it seems really perhaps simple or uh, woo-woo, but it's actually super powerful and brave to say, this was incredibly hard for me, or this is incredibly hard for me. And I think that disappointment and vulnerability are best friends. They are what help us to be the brave people that we're trying to be. And the moment that you allow yourself to be vulnerable, you open the door for the possibility of disappointment. And I think it's important to know that it will walk through. Having those self-healing tools to walk yourself through it is why we do healing work so that when it happens, we can hold ourselves with compassion. Oh, that's so good. Knowing that whatever happens, it's like, well, we've been there. Mm-hmm. We know how to handle that. Because I think anxiety is, isn't it defined as being worried of something that hasn't happened yet? And sometimes it's just so right. You almost imagine the disappointment before it's even happened. Absolutely. But I really love as well the things that you talk about. I listened to a sugar jar episode the other day and it was so soothing. I I bet people listen to your podcast in the bath a lot (laughs) because it's just like, oh my God, help me. Um, But when you were saying around choosing yourself Mm -hmm. and making sure that you are like really in line with your own integrity. That was, I think that's just the best way to start the year is checking in with yourself. I just wondered, how do you know when to say yes and no to things? How do you check in with yourself to be like, is this actually something that I want to do? Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, this is a lot of practice and like, I don't want to say like playing games, but like making it a little bit fun with yourself because to be honest, healing work can be kind of heavy sometimes. <laughs> um, and so finding the places where you can make it somewhat fun is, is really good. Um, I always ask myself, what, what is my intention behind saying yes? Am I saying yes because I'm hoping for an, an, ex, an external reaction? Am I saying yes because I'm hoping it'll make someone change? Like those are clear no's <laughs> because I can't impact how it's going to take place or what someone's going to do or how someone's going to react. Um, If I'm doing this because it makes me feel good, if I'm doing this because I'm excited about it, if I'm doing this because it's been on my bucket list and I've always wanted to do it, you know, I, I kind of allow myself to really feel into where it also, what yes feels like in my body. Does yes feel exciting? And excitement can sometimes feel like anxiety. So sometimes I, you know, declare, I delay my answer until I'm clear on whether I'm anxious because I'm excited or I'm anxious because this is a no. And so 
I think really spending time with myself and, and also I think this is really important too. Sometimes I say yes. And then I get into it. Like, you know, I'm sure you've experienced this, like in business, you say yes to a project and then like halfway in, you're like, oh my gosh, what did I (laughs) get myself into? And so I let myself be present to the discomfort of discovering that I said yes to something that I've discovered is now actually a no. And it's just an opportunity for me to learn. And I kind of make a covenant or like a promise with myself. Okay, we're going to finish this. But now we know in the future, like we're done <laughs> with this kind of, yes. you know, project. And so not being hard Mental on myself. Note. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I guess you're sort of avoiding future disappointment when you're really true to yourself. Because I think sometimes my disappointment comes from I'm disappointed in myself <laughs> for mm-hmm. saying yes to something I knew mm-hmm. was probably not quite right. Yeah. And I think we're also, we're disappointed in ourselves. And I think there's a little bit of a feeling of self-betrayal. And I don't, I don't think we talk about that a lot, but when you, there's there's a difference between, I, I feel that there's a difference between when you say yes, not knowing it was a no. And what a lot of us do, like you said, when we say yes, knowing it's a no, but we just feel like we mm-hmm. should, or this is a great opportunity or it'll make someone else happy. And so at the moment that we do that, we've kind of betrayed ourselves because our intuition was telling us no, and we did it anyway. And so there's also this blame, this self-blame that comes up with that. That's like, now we're in this because you, you know, we're talking to ourselves in this, you decided to do this and you knew we didn't want to. And that's where the disappointment can come in and and it kind of makes us not trust ourselves. We start to think, I don't, you know, really know what I'm doing here. And um, I think that that's a really, it's a tough place to be in, but I think it's also important. And if you're experiencing this now to know that every single one of us goes through this, even myself, I'm not like immune to saying yes, when I actually know that it's a no. And again, you know, choosing yourself, the moment that you realize that, you know, sometimes our, we get so clever at, um, we get so clever at disguising the reality that we knew it was a no when it was really a yes, that sometimes we don't even know. <laughs> we're like, oh my God, we get into it and we're like, oh my goodness, I didn't actually want to do this. So I think it's important to allow yourself the space to like, I, I know now. So what can I do with this information? We start to think that we're stuck when we're actually still in the power position to change our minds. And it's funny because when people say, oh, you know, failure is good. And then you think that's annoying because no one wants (laughs) failure, but they actually, it has such a point to it because the biggest learning moments, the biggest mess ups, I can think of them now. And I can think that they've, I've avoided so much pain and Mm. disappointment from those things happening. So they're like my reference point. Mm -hmm. But I wondered if people are listening now and because I'm, when, when we talk about healing, I'm very aware that you have to do a lot of work. This isn't easy. And you've done so much work on this. So you're, you you know, it's amazing to look to someone like you. But if someone's listening and they, they are really at a point where the world seems like such a scary place at the moment, where, where would you say the first step? Like, what's the first step? What was your first step? My first step was definitely learning how to say no. Um, and most importantly, no to myself. 
like you don't need more work. <laughs> you don't need to go to that party tonight. I know we're not doing that right now, but you know, like learning how to limit the amount just because I can hold all of this doesn't mean I should be holding all of this or doesn't mean it's helpful for me to be holding all of this. The reason why it's helpful to start with knows with yourself is because it's easier to practice with yourself than it is to go into boundary setting with external people, although that is important too. But until you know what no is for you, you don't even know what to say to other people. And so what time do I want to go to bed? That's usually where I always recommend people start. What time do I actually want to go to bed? <laughs> and most people are like, I actually want to go to bed at 10, but for some reason I'm always up to one, or I actually want to go to bed at nine. And I, I feel like, you know, that makes me old. So I go to bed at 11. Like there's so many ideas that we have around this simple thing. And it actually isn't really simple. It sets us up for the rest of our day. Some people are able to function great on three hours and some people are like dragging. Um, and also sleep keeps us from doing a lot of things that we, we want to be doing. And so I have people start there and then you can begin to learn so much about yourself. Well, I don't go to sleep at nine because my friend texts me at nine and I feel like I'm a bad friend if I don't answer. There's another, there's a place that you're not choosing yourself. Or I stay up and watch this show at 10 o'clock at night, even though I wake up and I'm exhausted. There's another place you're not choosing yourself. You can record it or you can, you know. So beginning to start to unpack, okay, this is where I, in the small ways, don't choose myself. And then you'll be able to see those patterns in the much larger or more defined at external ways. And it really gives you the power to begin to, okay, I'm going to have to have that tough conversation or I'm going to have to, to shift it because when you can do it with yourself, you know, you can go out and do it with someone else. And then, you know, when they react perhaps in a way that's like, well, you should do it for me because that's what friends do. You begin to realize, well, but that's not choosing myself because I already practiced this. And so you're able to, again, advocate for yourself and reinforce what you need yeah and it's I mean I know this is a really tiny example but mm -hmm. I've noticed that when I put myself first for example um I am writing a book at the moment and if I get to the end of the day and I haven't done anything on it I I, I feel resentful mm -hmm. I feel like everyone else has taken my time I have no one else to blame <laughs> I'm the one that's not done it but now when I wake up and I do my work that I want to do and then I start my day for other people I'm just nicer, mm -hmm. just a nicer person. And don't we all want each other to just be, you know, lighter and happier? Yeah, I'm, that's a beautiful example. And I think we didn't talk about that, but you're so right. When we don't choose ourselves, we automatically decide that <laughs> it's because someone else stopped us from doing that. And that's when that resentment builds. We have all of these stories in our minds about, how people are limiting us from doing things when in reality, we're limiting ourselves in many ways. And it's that recognition that does create the sense that, oh my God, I can sense this. Like if you're looking for like, where does that positivity come from in healing? It's when you realize that you can actually change what you're looking to shift. And then you go into your relationships and say, hey, I'm doing this for me, not in an accusatory blaming. This is why, you know, I haven't done what I wanted to do because you're stopping me way. It's like, hey, I've decided I'm going to do this now. Like end of story, you know? Yes, yeah, totally. And I know that I, I'm aware that I speak from someone who I don't have children, for example. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this takes on a whole new meaning for people who are like 
you know, doing multiple things and also a parent. Um, but I wanted to ask you just quickly on this subject of abundance mm. and, and coming from a place of feeling genuinely like what what is meant for you will reach you. Mm-hmm. Because this is something I'm, I've really tried to work on and I'm still working on is there something at the back of my brain that still panics when I say no too much? Because I think, will it run out? Am I jinxing myself? Like, it's the scarcity mindset comes back in. Do you have any tips for someone that wants to kind of feel like there's more abundance in their life? Yes, this is one of my favorite topics, because I think that the whole reason we're doing healing work, not not the whole reason, but one of the main reasons we're doing it is to make space for the things that we want and that we desire. Because when we have our space filled with all of the things we don't want, it's harder to let those things in. So abundance is something that I feel is available for all of us. And, you know, when it comes to how much we can hold, that's decided by us. You know, I think it's important to recognize just a quick uh, deviation from this. Um, the reason why it's so important not to try to force people to do what you think they should do is because they may not actually want the level of abundance, quote unquote, or the level of stuff or tasks that you want. And so their definition of abundance is maybe something that doesn't look abundant to you. And so defining like, what does abundance look like to me and what excites me about it? It might be like a small cottage somewhere with, you know, just running water and you have fire for a stove and for someone else, it's like, that's ridiculous. I want a mansion. It's both are abundant. And so when you decide what it looks like for you, how can you give it to yourself is the next, is the next step. And obviously that means, you know, that there will take action. And I think that's the main conversation missing from abundance. I think manifestation is incredibly powerful. I know things can happen without us actually doing anything for them because I've experienced it myself, but we also have to take actions and steps in our lives to create moments for abundance to come into us. And so if we remain stagnant in a way that limits us from being in our most powerful selves, meaning feeling available, do you feel available for the abundance that you're looking to receive? Um, the job that you have been wanting to apply to, what's limiting you or what's keeping you from doing it, you know, working through the fears that make you feel like perhaps you're not worthy of what you want for yourself. All of those things are how we can begin to create room for our abundance to come in. And then also, I think being patient because timing is not the thing that we get to control. (laughs) That's the, the tough part about abundance. Um, we can make things happen for ourselves. Absolutely. But I think the patience around it is, is really tough and beginning to keep like continuing to keep the hope that, you know, you're worthy of it and also releasing the expectation of what it's necessarily going to look like. I've always found that it can be absolutely more amazing than I even could have imagined. And so I like the idea of releasing it. I do understand that that comes with lots of practice. And so in the beginning, allowing yourself to just start small and say, what does abundance look like to me? And and making it real for yourself, as descriptive as you want it to be. And then how can I actually start working towards this bit by bit? I love that. I love that because something I'm realizing more and more is that for me, being time rich like having time Mm -hmm. feels so much it just feels 
so much more fulfilling at the moment than just like having a back-to-back calendar which I which genuinely I used to think that was what I wanted it's crazy how (laughs) things shift yes and I think too for me because I was like my schedule's booked that means that I'm abundant with opportunity and it was like but I go to bed exhausted you know or I wake up dreading (laughs) what I have to look forward to and I had to really learn to redefine it and I think that's such a good example again of like we learn what abundance we we may define what abundance looks like for us and then as we get into it we learn oh my gosh this is not what it looks like anymore and that's okay it can shift and then you can change as you as you learn more it's it's amazing peeling back the layers and you're like unlearning what you thought you sh- you wanted and then you realize this was all a con <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But um, on that note, actually, of boundaries and energy, would you be able to explain the analogy of the sugar jar? Yes. Because I really love your podcast. And I, th- I literally only just realized the other day what it what the meaning and concept behind it was. Yes, yes. And so just a quick definition of boundaries, right? Boundaries, in my definition, is the way that we relate to the world and the rules that we put in place with the people, places, and things that we are in relationship with. Um, so when we think about that, I like to think of the analogy of the sugar jar as a tangible visualization. Um, and you think about a jar of sugar. And I always like to start with, it doesn't matter if you're a mom or if you are a partner or a brother, we all only have one jar because we're one person. So all of our energy and all of our time is being used by the sugar in this jar. And we all have different levels, different size jars because we all have different capacities. So perhaps you're Oprah and I would imagine her jar is like huge, <laughs> um, but maybe it's not large, right? It, it, it still doesn't matter. It's all about how much space we have. And of course you can enlarge your jar, but that's a different conversation. When you don't have a lid on your jar, a lid being boundaries, people are able to take energy from you. What it may feel like is that people are taking advantage of you and that people are using you and that people are taking what you don't have um, and that you always have to be there for other people or you always have to show up for other people because perhaps you think you do it better or you're more reliable. There's so many ways that we um, get ourselves into these positions of, you know, codependency and cycles of unhealthy relationships. But actually, the sugar jar is an opportunity for us to see, actually, I don't have a jar. I don't have a lid on my jar. So that's why people are able to come in. I have no boundaries in place. There's no permission. So people can just decide when they want to come and when they want to leave. And so first part is deciding, how am I filling my jar? Because when people are taking energy from me, they're taking sugar and my jar is, you know, on E. I have crumbs. So I'm listening to a podcast. Maybe that fills up a tablespoon of sugar. I'm taking a walk. Maybe that's a cup of sugar. I take a day off. Maybe that replenishes my entire jar. But you begin to decide like, when I do these things, when do I, how do I feel? Do I feel more energy? Do I feel more abundant? Do I feel more excited? And when I do these things, do I feel like I just lost two cups of sugar and I don't even know where it went? And deciding like, okay, when I'm going to put a lid on my jar is when I'm going to say no. And people are going to have to ask and I'm going to open it up and I'm going to decide. But then also, you know, I've actually never talked about this before, but it feels important for this. Letting go of attachment to what happens to the sugar you gave. Because once they took it, it's gone. And it's 
no longer your sugar. Now it belongs to them. And so also releasing that attachment to that and allowing yourself to just stay focused on what's going on in your jar. And also looking around, you know, because I like to think about sugar in terms of how we would really use it. So sometimes you accidentally get some coffee grinds in there. You don't really want coffee grinds. So cleaning it out or, you know, sometimes you're making tea and some tea gets in the sugar and there's clumps. How can I break up those clumps so then I could have flow of my energy? So it's this beautiful uh, visualization that allows people to see where it's going. And most importantly, is there any sugar left for them? And it makes so much sense because, you know, you can't keep going on nothing. And it's so interesting to me, I think, when, you know, when someone DMs you or something and they ask for a favor. <laughs> yes. And it's amazing what the reaction is depending on what, what's in the jar. Yes. Because sometimes I'm like, oh my God, of course, I love, literally, this is why I do this job. I love giving advice. I love helping people. I want to give people all the time I can. But oh my God, on some days, I feel like they are taking everything out of my drawers. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm like, leave me alone. And, um, and And that's not a nice place to be. No. And it comes from like, my jar's like one fourth full already. Like it's like beep, beep, I'm on E, you know? And it's letting me know like any lower and, you know, I'm going to be laid out in the bed. And so it's, I think that is like that signal of if I'm not, if, if I'm not able to give, then that means it's time to shut it down and ask myself how I can fill myself up. If I feel like I have abundance and I can give, then I still don't have to give it all. And like learning, like, I, you know, there's a, there, there can be a medium of what, what giving looks like. And um, it's unfortunate because other people often are like, but you know, you're Emma, you should have like all of the things to give to all of us. And it's like, you know, or for me, Yasmin, you're Yasmin, you should have all of the things to give and recognizing that I do have a lot to give, but I also have like a cutoff point and that's okay. Yes. A hundred percent. And just on a practical level, do you have like templates that say no in a nice way? Do you like, or do you not need that anymore? I don't need that anymore, but I always tell people um, that if it's someone asking you, like, I mean, let's start with someone, you know, so if it's someone, know, you know, asking you for a favor saying that sounds absolutely amazing. I'll let you know when I have time and space for that. It's a great way to say no. And I haven't even said it. I just said like, not right now. Um, And then for people that you don't know, I always decide, do I even need to respond to this? I think that there's a level of, you know, we think that we have to respond to everything. And I've decided that sometimes no is no response. And so I will sometimes not respond if I know that I don't have an answer for what they're asking me for. But if I am going to respond, I will let them know, like, you know, again, this is amazing. And unfortunately, like I I don't provide this. And I, if it's something that I really feel like, oh, I wish I could, but I just can't, I'll often refer and say, Hey, that this person might be great for this and still give them something, but it's not going to happen for me. Totally. And sometimes we're in that space where even replying to say no is taking sugar. Oh, yeah. So, because then we're thinking, yes. like, how do I say it in a nice way? And oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're like, I might as well be doing, I might as well have said yes and be doing it because <laughs> yes. I'm going around and around saying no. <laughs> so true. 
But no, I absolutely love your podcast. And um, anyone listening now, if you need more of Yasmin, go and uh, have a listen. It's so good. Um, and just to end, I haven't given you a heads up on this, but do do you have like a word or a theme for 2021? Oh, yeah. Is there anything that you're thinking about? It's ease. It's ease. Ooh. I really want mm. to allow things to be easefully, I want to approach everything with as much ease as I can. Even the projects that seem hard or tough or take up a lot of time, like what would it look like if this was the most easeful um, opportunity? How could I create that for myself? And I've been asking for things a lot that I normally wouldn't. Like if I, if I'm on a project or if I'm doing something, I say like, what would it be like if I could do it like this? And I'm like, oh my gosh, they said yes. I thought this was something that I couldn't ask for. So I share that to say that even for myself, I'm learning new ways to introduce that. And I'm really excited about what that looks like. That is so good. And when you said the word ease, I felt like my body like melt into the chair a bit more. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so, so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. Yeah, it was so fun. I I just love your work. So being able to ask you some more questions is such a treat. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you.